Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here with you. Good morning to all of you watching online. What a start to 2021, right? We started with 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it ends today, which is really exciting because that means that now we get to eat three full meals again for some of us. It also means that we are filled up, hopefully full of Jesus. I personally love that we started off 2021 this way because this month is Sanctity of Life Month and prayer and fasting and the entrance into this new year has given us a foundation that we'll probably need this morning to, to explore three topics that aren't always easy for everybody, life, choice, and abortion. So those are showstoppers, right? <laughs> for some of you, your heart rate just kicked up and there might be a little bit of a fear response like, oh, that's not what I thought I was getting into this morning. Some of you may have be a little irritated or it might just be uncomfortable for you because these are three hot topics. But let me assure you that these are three topics that are near and dear to the heart of our Lord because they involve his creation and they invite his grace. So I'm actually in a dual role this morning. Yes, I'm one of your North Church pastors, but about uh, just under four years ago, I stepped off the role, off paid staff here at North Church and into the role of executive director for Life Services of Spokane. We are a pregnancy resource center and maternity home down on Ash Street, and we are in our 30th year here in Spokane. And while that adventure has, I love, yeah, woo. <laughs> While that adventure has been exciting, I've had to learn a whole new language. Kind of reminds me of uh, my boys' basketball days. I have two boys. They are now 20 and 17, and they both played high school basketball back when high school sports still existed in the state of Washington. They'll come back around. We're praying. I have a senior this year. But I've watched a lot of basketball. And uh, learning the language of basketball was a journey. I still remember the day that my oldest son, Reed, came home and he was like, Mom, I threw down for the first time. And I was so confused. I was like, is that throwing up? And he goes, no, no, Mom. means I dunked the ball. Seriously, get excited. <laughs> okay. It was a journey to learn the language of basketball. And like that, it's been a journey to learn how to talk about life, choice, and abortion in ways that are civil, in ways that involve respect for both sides in ways that bring compassion to any conversation and truth into the conversation. Life Services has taught me that. So why talk about these topics today? Well, first, it's not COVID. Leaving that topic behind, thank you, Jesus, just for today. <laughs> I knew you'd be excited on that one. And second, back in 1984, President Ronald Reagan set aside the third Sunday of every January for Sanctity of Life Sunday. Yes, I know we're off by one, but today is the 24th. Here's what Ronald Reagan, or what President Reagan said in his proclamation. He said, the values and freedoms that we cherish as Americans rest on our fundamental commitment to the sanctity of human life. The first of the unalienable rights affirmed by our Declaration of Independence is the right to life itself. A right, the Declaration states, has been endowed by our creator on all human beings, whether young or old, weak or strong, healthy or handicapped. Quite a proclamation, right? And this is not a political message, so it's not about whether you are a Reagan fan or not. But what President Reagan did was set aside a day in our country to reflect on one reality, that God created life in its earliest and most frail form, and that life is valuable. His proclamation resonated the truth that we find in Psalm 139. Here's what that says. You've heard this before. For you formed me you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb. That's actually a joyful reality that our nurses get to witness daily on the ultrasound screen at our My Choice Clinics at Life Services. Let me tell you a little bit about who we are and what we do. Life Services exists to come alongside men and women who've experienced or who've been impacted by three things, unplanned pregnancy, sexual trauma or abortion. And we do that with the goal of breathing hope into whatever their situation is, providing free medical care, practical support, relationship, and healing opportunities. So we have uh, several arms of our ministry, as you can see up there, our My Choice Clinic. Yes, that is a different name. We, uh, we have found that choice in America doesn't always really mean what choice was meant to mean. 
And so we wanted to take back a bit of the language by naming our clinic My Choice. And we also have heard from so many of our clients that when they come to us, they feel that they have no other choice but to choose abortion for their unplanned pregnancies. Again, we're taking back some of the language. So we provide all the free uh, medical care up there with registered nurses and a um, Register, excuse me, an OBGYN who's our medical director. We, uh, we also have a beautiful maternity home sandwiched with our My Choice Clinic. And uh, one of the benefits that you may not know of, those of you who are here at North Church, is that our maternity home house parents are part of you. They are part of North Church. Mark and Jill, uh, Josephine uh, Morton and their daughter Jelena live full-time in our maternity home, and their whole goal is to provide a safe, beautiful family environment for our gals, our residents, to reset and find some healthy footing as they become parents. We also have two mentoring programs, My Spa for the Women, and strong fathers, and they connect our mothers-to-be and fathers-to-be with mentors, life skill classes, and uh, we are so excited about strong fathers. Mark actually leads our strong fathers program. He's our new director, and what we discovered is that about 83% of those who've had abortions say they would have kept their babies. They They would have carried their baby to term if the guy or someone like him had stood by them. And so we are raising up an army of dads who will stand by these young fathers to be and go, yep, it's going to be hard. Yep, I know you're going to be a dad. You didn't want to be, but I'm here with you and I'm going to walk with you along the way. And so that's what Mark is doing. So excited for that program. For those who are experiencing uh, or have experienced emotional or mental pain because of their abortion or those who've been victims of sexual trauma, we have support groups for both men and women that provide healing opportunities. And these are run through our two partner organizations, Abortion Anonymous, or Abanon for short, and Sexual Abuse Victim Anonymous, or Savanon for short. And all of our services are offered here in Spokane, but for those of you online, both Abanon and Savanon have virtual groups in multiple languages. Might be an option for you. So, life services. We enter into some pretty heavy conversations, and we do it readily on purpose. What we find is that most people don't like to talk about these three topics, life, choice, abortion, right? They don't like to talk about unplanned pregnancies. The topic is either highly political or intensely personal. You don't invite somebody to lunch and say, hey, let's talk about my abortion. Doesn't happen. But what we see through our clients is that our silence, especially in the church, is only hurting our young people who are making gigantic life-altering decisions as we're here today. And it's also keeping those of us who've been wounded in this area stuck. We need to talk about these topics in ways that don't drive people away. Ways that create a safe place for people to process. And I believe that as we examine our own beliefs about life, choice, and abortion, we develop courage to bring up the conversation with the young people in our lives, to seek healing for ourselves, and to even stand with those struggling to choose life. So... Let's dive in. Let's see a little bit more what the Bible says about life. We've already read Psalm 139, but God talks about life right up in the very beginning in Genesis. He says in Genesis 1:27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. We, all of us, were created in God's image, which is pretty amazing because look around. If you're at home, look around. Right? You see all sizes, shapes, personalities, colors, right? And we were all created in his image. That's pretty amazing. There is a commonality that we share in our humanness that can unify us if we let it. It's not always the case, though, is it? Oftentimes, this topic divides like none other. We let our opinions divide us. And our opinions are often born out of our own personal experience. In fact, statistics will tell you that the number one predictor of how a person will react to any given topic is what previous experience they've had with it. Stats also tell us that one in four of the gals in any given room has a personal experience with abortion. And we know that it takes two to tango, right? So if we add in the guys, the guys who gave the ride or paid for the abortion or gave voice to it, we know that almost half of us in here have had a personal experience with abortion. And I say us because me too. Let me share a little of my story. When I was five, 
my aunt's family came to live with us, my mom's sister. And I was so thrilled because she had three kiddos with her. They were about my age and they became my best friends. We played every day together. And I loved that they lived with us, that I got to see them every day. Until the day that I wandered downstairs to see where they were. And my uncle got a hold of me, brought me in the playroom and sexually assaulted me. He bought my silence by telling me that he would hurt my little sister if I told anybody. So I kept the secret all the way into my teenage years. I became the greatest chameleon. I could be anyone you wanted me to be. Just ask. I drank pretty heavily to endure the, the shame and the behavior, or the shame because of the behavior I believed that was expected of me from the guys I hung around. I so desperately wanted people to like me, and yet I had so much self-hatred that I really wasn't that fun to be around. So I was lonely and I partied harder. About two months after high school graduation, my biggest fear came true. I found myself 17 and pregnant. And my first words were, I can't have a baby. And so from that moment forward, I, all of my plans were to not have a baby. And four days before I moved out of the house and headed off to college, I terminated the life of my first child through abortion. And life's never been the same since. Thousands of us have gone into self-preservation mode with our unplanned pregnancies and chosen abortion. As of 2017, the number of abortions in Washington state is about 17,071. What you need to know about abortion statistics is that there are no requirements to report abortion statistics and they are always about three years behind. You can see that it is uh, the starting place for many young women. 37% of abortions occur in 18 to 24 year olds right as they're starting life. The nationally, 879,000 uh, in 2000, or 2017 were aborted, but what you need to know about that number is that there are three states that, don't, that have not reported their abortion numbers for the last 10 years, California, Maryland, and New Hampshire. They're not required to, and they make up about 20% of abortions, so you can hold those numbers loosely. We estimate that about 22% of abortions were to Hispanic mothers, 37% to African-American mothers, so you cannot tell me that this is not racially targeted. Worldwide, an estimated 73 million. Let me say that number again. You may have read numbers underneath this, but this is Guttmacher's number. 73 million abortions worldwide every year. Most taking place in Asian or Latin countries where sex-selective abortion has become commonplace. In other words, when someone doesn't agree with or like the sex of their baby, the gender, they will terminate that pregnancy. It's become commonplace. It's, become, it's growing in America. And as a pastor, one of the most heartbreaking stats for me is that four in 10 women who experience abortion are regular churchgoers, but only 7% share their experience with anybody in the church. We've not historically been a safe place to share, and we need to get there because we, women like me, need the church. We keep it buried. We bury our story and we hide it from everyone, including Jesus. And this only gives the enemy express permission to torment us with grief and guilt and shame and all of the coping mechanisms, the ways that plays out in our lives. But here's the truth. Jesus never asked us to bury our stories. Instead, he invites us to bring them into the light. Ephesians 5 says this, but when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes light or visible is light. So let me shed a little light on my story. I'll pick it up 16 years later. I was 33 years old. My husband, John, and I were married. We had a two and a half year old, Reed, and we were so excited because we'd just gotten to adopt our youngest son, Adam. Unfortunately, the summer that he joined our family, my anger issues kicked into high gear. I'd always struggled with a deep anger and big time intimacy issues that was all driven by this inner self-hatred. But by the time we adopted Adam, all of that kind of kicked over the top. And we realized that I wasn't safe for our children. I was a danger to them. I still remember the day that John sat me down on the bed and he spoke these words. He said, I will not lose these kids because of you. It's time to get your anger under control. I don't know if you've ever had a pivotal moment like where you could go left and that meant destruction and loss or you could go right and that meant freedom, but there was this wall of fear standing over here in front of the freedom. That was the moment for me, it was pivotal. I wanted that freedom. 
So I chose that freedom. I chose to get help. I started meeting with our pastor's wife, Diana, and, and she prayed for me on the first meeting and she asked the Lord, what's the root of Glendy's anger? And immediately I knew the answer. The root was the shame and the guilt that I felt from the abortion I'd had at 17. You see, I'd made the easier decision to terminate the life of my child, but my new son's birth mom had made the harder sacrificial decision to carry him all the way to term, to give birth to him, and then she'd placed him in my arms as his adoptive mama. No way that I felt worthy of that kind of a gift. That unworthiness felt like it would suffocate me. I remember about the same time reading a story of another woman who had uh, processed through the day of her abortion with a friend. And as I was reading that, I felt really confused because the woman in the story kept referring to her baby. When I thought of my abortion and tried to think of a baby associated, it was like staring at a blank white wall, nothing there. A few days later, I found myself processing through my day, the day of my abortion with Diana, of course. As I responded to her gentle questions about that day, memories that were long buried came flooding back. I'd been just 17 years old, dang it. I was so scared, but I was really convinced that it was just a tumor that needed a surgical solution. I told Diana everything, including the part that after the procedure, I kept crying about the baby. And then I said, but Diana, there was no baby. The nurse told me it was just 2.2 ounces of tissue, no baby. See, that was the lie for me. For all these years, I believed that lie, and it was a lie that hid the truth behind a blank white wall. But it was in that moment, as God revealed the truth to me, that I had a picture for him in my mind, and it was of a white wall lifting. And behind that wall, I saw Jesus, and he was holding the baby, and I heard him speak to me, and he said, it wasn't just tissue, Glendy. It was a baby. He was your son, and you will be reunited with him in heaven someday. I have a son in heaven, and I named him Timothy because it means blessed by God. Whew. I can tell you that Jesus is who he says he is. He is absolutely Savior, absolutely best friend, and absolutely the lover of our souls. He wants to forgive. He readily forgives, and I stand here in front of you forgiven completely for the abortion that I had when I was 17. I realize that some of you in this room or some of you watching have experienced abortion just like me, falling backed into a corner where you had no choice, you felt you had no choice but to terminate. Or maybe you weren't the one on the table. Maybe you were the one whose girlfriend was on the back of your motorcycle driving over the mountain to the abortion that she had scheduled, that she was insisting on, but you were funding and you felt like your voice had been stolen from you. Or maybe you were the dad going, you are not gonna, you're not gonna throw away your college. We're gonna get this taken care of because you can't be a parent right now. And you realize now that that was your grandchild. Or maybe you were the college student arguing with all of your roommates for abortion because it seems like the right choice and because to do otherwise would condemn your sister who just had one last month. I wonder, I wonder if you've built a wall around your story, a wall that has powerfully influenced what you believe about the value of unborn life. Remember in my story when I talked about only seeing a white wall when I tried to think of a baby associated with abortion? Every time I did that, all I saw was the white wall, and that actually has great scriptural significance. In the book of Ezekiel, God had been angry with the false prophets in Ezekiel's time. He accused them of announcing false visions and lies to the people. And here's what he says. He says, because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come down in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down, and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? Hard to miss the wall, the whitewashed wall in that passage, huh? The wall being referred to here is like the outer wall around a house or, or a city. In ancient times, they covered a poorly built wall with gypsum or lime to give it the appearance of strength. Whitewash was all for show. Picture cardboard. 
covered with some Sherwin-Williams cloud white paint, right? It changed the appearance of the wall to make it look more sturdy than it really was. But in essence, it covered up the truth. It wasn't what it looked like. So how does that all relate to abortion? Well, in my case, it represented the one thing that kept me from seeing the truth. My wall was the 2.2 ounces of tissue, and that was the lie that I believed that kept me from seeing the human baby that God had created inside of me. Think about all the ways that we as a society have whitewashed the truth about life, choice, and abortion. We we believe things that we hear like life in the womb is not really human yet. It's not a person. It doesn't have personhood until viability or until it takes its first breath. Well, first off, that dismisses God's word that we've just read. And if we are here as believers in Jesus Christ, then we also believe that his word is true. And he created life from conception. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her cousin Elizabeth both knew that their babies were humans inside of them, not potential humans or or partial babies. They were humans. Elizabeth's baby actually leapt for joy in her womb when a pregnant Mary walked in the door. Second, science has proven that that the unborn child is a genetically unique, newly existing, living individual, making her own proteins, guiding his own growth and development, and responding to stimuli, all the requirements for life, and all from the moment of conception. And his life has great value. The only differences between the unborn human that each of us once was and the child, teen, or adult that we are now is simply four things, easily remembered as sled. Start with size, the S. My Timothy was nine weeks old when I chose to terminate his life. He had eyelids, fingers, toes, four chambers of his brain already formed. He had a heartbeat, and he could respond to pain. He was about the size of my thumb, which was quite a bit smaller than me. But it doesn't mean that his size diminished the value of his life or made my life more valuable than his. Level of development. I'm 51 years old. My son is 17-year-old. So is a 51-year-old more valuable because my brain is fully... uh, No, it's not. (laughs) My brain is fully developed uh, or because I have more life experience. Well, you can try to convince my son Adam of that, but he's pretty strong and he'll probably take you down if you tell him that his mom's more valuable than he is. Environment. Think location, location, location. If you're at home watching your PJ or in your PJs watching this message, I want to ask you a question. Am I more valuable because I'm in the church and you're at home today? That's ridiculous. So why would we say that a nine-week-old peanut-sized embryo has less value or value in the womb than a baby laying in his mother's arms. Environment shouldn't matter. And then finally, degree of dependence. Dependence on another human does not make someone disposable. You got to think Alzheimer's, kidney dialysis, three-month-old baby dependent on his or her mother, unborn, 20-week-old fetus. There is no essential difference between the human embryo that you once were and the human adult that you are today that justifies killing you at the earliest stages of development. There are other ways that we diminish the value of life with whitewash. We hear this one all the time. What about in cases of rape? You cannot force a woman to carry her baby to to term if she's been raped. Well, as someone who experienced rape, I can tell you it was trauma. I can also tell you that abortion was trauma. It's not cozy or therapeutic like we hear from some providers here in Spokane and around the country. We get calls in our My Choice Clinic all the time from women who've been traumatized by abortion. And so abortion following rape is trauma, compounding trauma. And the equation, usually what we see, creates a defeatist attitude, posture in a young woman. Her body knows that it was created to support and give birth to life. And when that life is forcibly removed, the body, mind, and soul know, and they respond with heartbreak. But here's the great part. When we see a woman on our program choose to carry her pregnancy in the face of great hardship, in the face of homelessness or poverty or rape, we see a a resilience born in her. There is a strength that she develops that surprises everyone around her, including herself. And when we see the young father-to-be use his voice and his presence to make that life-affirming choice with her. Ho, sparks fly, 
and healing happens. That's the way families are born. Parenting is hard. Adoption is hard. Those are the other two choices, right? But hard is not always bad. Adoption's actually gotten a really bad rap in the last 10 years. You've heard me talk about our adopted son, Adam. Did you know that we did not accidentally adopt Adam? We did it on purpose. It took great effort. It took great time. And it was all incredibly worth it. We wouldn't change anything that we did. Being adopted for Adam is not always easy, though. He makes jokes about it sometimes. But as his mom, I can tell you that one of my greatest joys has been walking, watching him work through the hard pieces of his past and find his identity in Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest challenges of being his mom is parenting him through that. But just because the process is hard does not mean that Adam's birth mom should have aborted him. Whitewashed walls. They represent the lies, the flimsy excuses that we tell ourselves to accept that abortion is the ethical the moral, the right choice for a woman or an unplanned pregnancy. Those lies grow stronger as we feed them with isolation, pain, and darkness. And I believe that they also have great carryover into how we view the lives around us. So I'm going to ask you to do it again. Look at the person next to you. Seriously, look. Turn and look beyond the mask. You're going to see some redheads. You're going to see some nappy black hair. You're going to see some gray hair. You're going to see some straight blonde, right? You may see no hair, but what you see is a person created in God's image. And the root of your decision whether or not to value that person next to you, it's rooted in whether or not you value the human unborn person that they once were. In God's eyes, all life has value from the womb to the tomb. So now we come down to the choice part of our morning together. Choice is defined as the act of selecting or making a decision when faced with two or more possibilities, such as the choice between good and evil. Some of us watching, some of us here in the room have been stuck behind a white wall for a long time. Maybe it's a wall that justified your own abortion for a decade or two. Maybe it's not even your abortion experience. I wonder if the sexual abuse that I talked about ran parallel to your own story. And your wall tells you that all guys are bad, all guys will hurt you, all guys are abusers. I built that wall once. It's incredible when that wall finally comes down. Or maybe you experienced an unplanned pregnancy as a teen, but you gave birth to that baby and and the shame of your extended family's response. It's built walls between you and people. Or I wonder if as a guy, your wall represents the lie that you have no voice and no choice in the matter of an unplanned pregnancy. It's a woman's choice only because our society has done a really good job of painting layer after layer of whitewash on that wall. For those of us who still only see a whitewashed wall, we have a choice this morning to look behind and discover the truth. And maybe your experience wasn't actually with abortion, but you've had conversations or you have a heart attitude towards it. This morning, we are starting a baby bottle campaign for life services to do three things. First, we want to raise awareness. We want people to know about us. We do not manipulate. Our entire goal is to pray with and provide services and meet people right where they're at, but they won't know about us unless you all help raise awareness about what you've heard, raise conversations. Here's the one thing about conversations about life choice and abortion though. Oftentimes they end with a period. They, they are people, invo- or people involved, they state their opinion, period. What does that do for someone like me who's post-abortive? It shuts down the conversation. So what if we, as a community, started conversations that end with a question mark? Because a question mark invites and draws people into the conversation, it draws in the story. So you can raise awareness, raise conversations. We give you the tools in our baby bottles to do that. And finally, you can raise support. We receive no government funding for what we actually do. It's all personally supported. So we're asking if you'd take a baby bottle home over the next month, fill it with your change, cash checks, bring it back in a month. If you're at home, you can make your own baby bottle and bring it to Life Services in a month. And I'm also asking as one of your pastors here to do that above and beyond your tithe or your offering. So, choice. We have a choice to look behind our walls. Here's what Jesus says about that. He says, in him was life, 
And that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That John 1 verse is probably one of my favorites because we fear that darkness, but that darkness does not overcome the light. And it may be scary to look behind your walls, but Jesus is gentle. He is kind, and when he shines the light behind your wall, his heart is that nothing would hold you back from him any longer. Nothing would hold you back from the people around you any longer. It's time to look behind our walls because Jesus desires healing and forgiveness. And I'll tell you, the state of our country, we need people who are healed and whole battling for Jesus. And if you're stuck behind a wall, well, then you're stuck and you're not in the battle. Will you choose to look behind that wall this morning? My team will be out in the lobby if you've got questions, how to get involved. You need help looking behind that wall. But I think our first step is to pray. So will you pray with me? Lord, I'm so humbled again and again and again that you would take the most horrid decision that I ever made in my life and you would turn it around into a testimony of your goodness. And I thank you for the privilege of sharing that testimony with my friends here. And I ask, boldly ask, that there would be more and more and more, that there would be a multiplication of what happens here today, more testimonies of people looking behind the wall and finding your freedom, the freedom that you offer, the forgiveness that you offer. And so with all of us here, all of us at home, all eyes closed and heads bowed. I'm going to ask you, if that's you, and you want to take a step towards freedom, I'm just going to ask you right now just to raise your hand. Just acknowledge with a hand up, I want to step into freedom today. I want to look behind this wall. Thank you, Jesus, for the hands raised and for the hands not yet raised. We give you the glory we ask that you guide our every step, guide our next conversation, guide our hearts, and guard our hearts as well. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith and the creator of our lives. Would you move us forward, that we would be confident in our conversations and interactions regarding your truth. We'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Well, we're going to transition real quick um, into the time in our offering where we get to extend our worship to Jesus through our tithes and offering. Up on the screen, you're going to find several ways that you can give to North Church. And again, if you do take a baby bottle, as one of your pastors, I'm asking that your commitment to North Church financially stands first and life service is second. And so um, go ahead and give. And then uh, as you feel led, if you're here with us visiting don't feel any pressure to give but we're also just going to extend our worship with our voice so will you stand with us as we sing
that we have a father that calls us home exactly as we are as sinners he's calling us right where you stand well he's not done with us and we're not done with you either we're going to raise a hallelujah in here and we need your help this morning so we're going to need your hands together we need you to participate and sing with us
Yeah. What a great way to uh, end a service like this. Um, also, we're here to pray for you. If uh, anything that Pastor Glendy, what a powerful word that was. Thank you for sharing your story. And you know, every single one of us have a story that God wants to use uh, from our past, from our present, and the things he's going to do in our future. So I want to encourage you, you know, let God speak to you. Let him free you, uh, whatever, whatever that may be. So if you need prayer, feel free and come right over there to the side, and we'll be there to pray for you. Also, uh, grab one of these baby bottles on the way out there, out at the table, at the life services table. We're so appreciative of that ministry. And uh, God bless. Have a wonderful day. See you next week.
Just pray.